Glad you could join us for episode 101 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name is Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne. And Wayne, it's been a little longer between episodes than we planned, but like a lot of our shows that took many hiatuses, we are back and looking for trouble. Yeah, I have to kind of take the blame for that. Well, not kind of. It's totally my fault. Uh, you know, as uh, anyone who's been listening for a while will know, I'm very involved with lacrosse and my kids, and uh, so it is lacrosse season here in Maryland, and so that means our schedule is you know, a little bit crazier than normally it is, which is usually pretty crazy. And then, um, you know, and then Friday we're supposed to record, and I just just went to a viewing, up and went, and I didn't even totally forgot that we were supposed to record. I felt really bad. Yeah, your son came to the rescue as he uh, got sick of hearing the Skype ring yeah. <laughs> disturb him yeah. in his reverie with uh, mom and dad out of the house. Exactly. But, uh, he was probably really pissed about that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, hey, we are the cradle of lacrosse for this country. I think that's safe to say. Well, you know, at one point it certainly was. Um, I think probably there's a lot of good kids still coming out of Maryland, but probably you know Syracuse and Long Island and now even like the Midwest might uh, might differ with that. But, you know, obviously we still think it's it's a state team sport, right? Absolutely. But either way, we are back. And tonight we're here to continue our discussion of James Cameron's cyberpunk series, Dark Angel, starring Jessica Alba and Michael Weatherly. And we continue moving through season one. We'd love to hear from you via email at sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. The website, which is still fatalist.podbean.com, where you can leave a voicemail via the speak pipe tab. You can also record your own audio clips and the MP3 as an attachment, or just send us a tweet at Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. And hopefully you'll consider joining the Facebook group, Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, and the discussions, again, like we said, have been, been picking up nicely. Yeah, I really enjoy the Facebook group. It's a lot of fun. It is, absolutely. And uh, uh, actually, the, that's going to be you know a little bit of a lead-in in a second. But what we wanted to talk about a couple of the shows we've been watching. And obviously, if you've listened to this podcast at all, you know Wayne and I absolutely love The 100. And we had the season two finale. There is going to be a season three. And oh my God, w- what a finale. <sighs> yeah, that was... As we said, you know, the show maybe, I mean, not not that we didn't like it at first, because I liked the show, and as I said before, it was just kind of a guilty pleasure. I thought it was enjoyable, but not too deep, and all of a sudden, it got all deep and stuff, and, uh, you know, it really, the end of the season is just clicking on all cylinders, and uh, man, I, I think I even posted on Facebook, I mean, watching that finale, I was just, like, so intense. Um, it was like, very much like watching watching like a walking dead finale um where the whole time you're just on pins and needles and you're like all your your hands are clenched and it's just intensity the whole time and just a really really well done episode yeah and there will be some spoilers in this uh little segment here so beware um you know and i think one of the things that i love about 100 and there are many many things as we've both talked about through the course of this podcast that we really respect writers and showrunners that are not afraid to kill off main characters. And certainly the hundred has done that and they've surprised us. They've shocked us. They've saddened us. But in this episode, uh, look, obviously Clark is the main character. And we've talked many times about these kids being forced into situations where every choice they have is bad. Every choice is a dark one. And Clark's just had enough after three major decisions she's had to make that resulted in a lot of lives lost. 
and and we see her walking away from her group, and we don't know where she's going to go once season three begins. Yeah, I think it's not even just killing off characters, but making characters that we sometimes don't like that much. Like, there's been times when we really haven't agreed with the decision Clark has made, and we, th- we think she's wrong. And uh, Bellamy, same thing. I mean, there's not really... Uh, a main character on this show that at some point has done something that has, you know, I don't know, not been popular or has made that character seem like not like not a good person, you know? Yeah. I mean, has there been anybody other than Bellamy that's made pretty much a 180 shift? Right. Yeah. Because you remember Bellamy at first was like he was kind of the bad guy a yeah. little bit. And now he's the complete opposite. But still... um you know, but he's he's matured, and but you know, that decision that Clark and Bellamy have to make, they the, that's why I love that scene because it was a horrible decision that they had to make, but they did it together, and he right. knew that part of her hesitation was being the only person who would bear the responsibility, and he said, "Hey, you know, let's do this together. I'm going to take some of the responsibility as well. It's not just you." You know, then she was able to go through with you know what, quite frankly, needed to be done. Yeah, and the the bravery that he exhibits when he's you know at mount weather and it seems to be going to hell and yet he sticks it out and and certainly succeeds but what kept him you know i guess alive in terms of uh, fans that really hated his character was the fact that octavia was his sister and at the beginning of the show she needed to be taken care of and and he was there to do that however negative a character he was but then again talk about somebody whose character turned uh you know octavia yeah. uh, aligns herself with the grounder she becomes a grounder she becomes a warrior and you know i guess the question now because you know the the last time they they saw each other whether she's ever going to be able to forgive clark for what she's done yeah good point um it's like yeah these characters that do these 180s you know like you mentioned bellamy and everything i never dislike bell you know like I know he was kind of like the bad guy first, but I always thought he's such an awesome bad guy, you know, like he's so great. And you see him being kind of tortured because here he is having to lead this group of kids and their survival depends on him. He's got to make the tough choices. And sometimes it's not what Clark wants. And so we don't like him because we like Clark. But we realized as Clark realized this season that being in charge, being the one who has to make the tough decisions means, you know, you're not. A, going to be popular, and B, sometimes those tough decisions you make, you make the wrong one, and it has yeah. severe consequences. Right, and we see all these kids in uh, positions of authority, and with Octavia, she just you know puts herself out there as a foot soldier, and she's perfectly happy doing that. Right, she's getting all judgy now, you know? like Well, she is. So we'll see, because uh, that's what I, the one thing I don't like about her is like now she's like, you know, judging Clark and everything. It's like, well, you weren't in that position. You weren't the one that had to make the call, you know. So think about that, you know. Right. Uh, You know, we've been talking about all the kids, and now that everything is over at Mount Weather, you know, now the adults, Clark's mother and Kane, and certainly Kane's somebody that's come full circle to where he really respects what the kids know, what the kids are able to do, and, and actually defers to them. Now that these kids, and I think what we're going to probably see in, in season three is that they're, they, they'll they just have become almost a shell of themselves as they try to recover from what it is they've been forced to do. And, you know, maybe Kane and the adults will kind of ease back into power. However, 
looking at the kids with a newfound respect. Yeah, but I don't know, you know, with the new kind of, I, I assume this, this I don't know, hologram uh, at the end of you know, the, the last episode is going to be the new baddie, the new challenge, the new adversary. Um, you know, will they, you know, they've never really had time to regroup and resettle, right? They've always, every decision they've made, they've had to make on the fly, right? Yeah. So oh, yeah. reflection and consideration are not, when, when you're in a struggle, everyday struggle for survival, you don't have tons of time to really think about what needs to be done. You, you just, you have to do what seems like the right idea at the time because you don't have the option of sitting in a chamber and talking to your advisors and everything. You just, you have to make the choice then and there. And then that, as we said, that's why often that, that choice ends up being the wrong one. Right. Now, you mentioned the hologram, and and certainly President Jaha or Chancellor Jaha has been on this vision quest, uh, you know, like Moses looking for the promised land, and everybody's beginning to think he's nuts. I mean, Murphy has aligned himself with Jaha, but but even he's not so sure, especially when the four of them are adrift in the boat and— you know, there's some sort of mutant aquatic animal yeah. that's, that's ch- chomping on their boat. And the next thing you know, Jaha Just throws one of throws, the guys overboard. Guy overboard. Um, but they do reach land. And like you mentioned, they're, you know, that the, the two of them separate because it's now just Jaha and Murphy. And Murphy finds like this like underground uh, Looks like a bachelor's 70s pad. Disco bachelor pad. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. It's cool. Uh, I know, like it. Yeah, I mean, somewhat reminiscent of when, uh, you know, they opened the hatch and lost. Uh, I mean, everyone was, that was so lost, that whole thing. It was just like, you know, I'm not like a guy who goes looking for lost comparisons, but that was without a doubt. Yeah, a little, the, the appointments were a little better, but uh, but still. <laughs> and then we find Jaha with the hologram and a nuclear warhead. And, you know, between that and then that video that Murphy sees about this guy that, uh, somehow feels he was responsible for like we we assume launching the holocaust that blew up the earth so where we're going in season three I, boy they can go so many places which is which is just awesome it, it you know? is yeah definitely it's it's gonna I mean, be great to see i'm very excited right i mean what, what what have they stumbled onto where's clark gonna go will the ark survivors inhabit mount weather uh, uh, <laughs> now and uh, uh, we forget that the grounders just boned them right well, I mean, is Lexa, I mean, that's my bold prediction is that now that uh, Clark has gone off on her own, I think she's going to reconnect with the grounders and that somehow she and Lexa are going to have to work out what exactly happened, which, as you said, Lexa sold them out. Yeah, because there's some, obviously, there, there's got to be some bad blood there, you know, because they, they were allies for a little bit, but now they're back to being total and complete enemies again. I would assume. Yeah. All right. Well, why don't we move on to 12 Monkeys? Because as right. I told you when we were talking. We're not going to talk about 12 uh, Monkeys as much, I'm sure. No, 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 absolutely not. But the funny thing is, as we were talking about, you know, we had that little uh, almost two week uh, break in between recording. And I was tra- telling you, I was trying to figure out, okay, how am I going to justify the fact that last time we talked about 12 Monkeys, I was praising it. And now I'm ready to axe it from my viewing well, schedule. Not only that, because I was just listening to it again today. And, uh, you know, you said something about, oh, the characters are so, I just love all these characters. I'm like, oh, (laughs) that's going to be tough for him to rescind that one. Yeah. And and I guess my thing is it's just becoming too convoluted for me. Uh, You know, it's just like you're going to 2043 and then you're back to 2020. 
13, then you're back to 2043, and then back, and it's like, this doesn't work, and this doesn't work, and this, and, and I, I mean, where are we headed? I guess that's my problem. Yeah, exactly, and how long could you sustain this, right? Um, because, you know, eventually, the world lives or dies. Either way, the show ends, you know, and I don't know, I mean, time travel is a weird thing, and you suggested the last one that they might go to like a a quantum leapish, you know, help, going back in time to help people. I, I totally don't see that happening. But uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Um, I, I, I still like Twelve Monkeys. I, I enjoy it a lot. But I think what at first I thought I was really into these characters, and now I'm thinking that it seems like it's so plot driven that characterization has kind of been put on the back burner. A little bit and so we just don't quite really care about these characters that much you know right right because we don't see any personal development in any of them i mean a little bit here and there but just not enough right and um so you know i i still have hope i mean like i said it's still i still enjoy it i think that the plot is great i love the time travel bendy twisty stuff i, I really like that but uh, yeah i i think which you we had talked about at lunch a couple of days ago, uh, saying that you know just kind of have trouble really sympathizing and really you know getting into these characters. Um, I think that's that's a valid point. Yeah, and you know there's only a couple episodes to go, and I'm certainly going to stick it out at this point. But I, I I believe it was Michael that that he predicts that what's going to happen is you know they're going to cure the cure the plague or actually stop the plague from ever happening. But then that's going to un- unleash something else, right? And that, but then we're back to the same thing. Okay, then what? They take care of that, and something else yeah. happens. Yeah. So well, I don't that's know. We'll time see. Time travel for you, man. You're always putting yep. out fires. You know. Yep. All right. Well, speaking of time travel, and you mentioned the hundred as a guilty pleasure for you that that's become something else, and that's what the flash is for me. I mean, right from the start, I enjoyed it a lot. I, I never did not enjoy it, but I felt like it was a guilty pleasure. I, I loved dark things so you know arrow grabbed me immediately and and has continued that that darkness especially with oliver queen but oh my gosh episode 15 out of time okay now we've got time travel right well which we knew because we knew that harrison wells was some dude from the future um if i had was better was up more up on my um my flash comic book knowledge I would have probably know who the reverse flash was, but I, I never read the flash. And so I had no idea. I, I had actually no idea about how complex the flash's universe is. I mean, this is crazy. Um, yeah. Time travel really is a thing in the comic book. Apparently uh, the reverse flash is a guy from the future who is kind of engineered his powers to be like the flash. And so has come back to make Barry Allen the hero he could be. And just all this well, even that, though, we're not really sure. Like, he talks about needing to get back to his time, so we're not really sure, at least I'm not, how he got there, what what put right, him. Right, I guess I was just going on that article that you yeah. posted with what they said uh-huh. happens in the uh, in the comic book. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you're right, exactly. We don't know what exactly what Harrison Wells' motivation. We did know, you know, when is dead, dead, right, Dave? Yes, like we do. Cisco gets killed, and all of a sudden, then he's back because well, <laughs> Barry goes back in time. And oh, yep. did you not see the new one yet? I have not seen the okay. new one, but, but I mean, I kind of figured right, that right. You well, know, when he went back, because uh, it's back to the day before, and yeah, and everyone's back. And so, um, 
Yeah, they they play with the uh, the causality issues with with time travel there. So it really, it's not as like revealing as the the previous episode was, but they really do get into exploring the idea of time travel and its consequences. It's really cool, right? And, right, and while it's certainly not a dark show, uh, I mean, his character is getting a little bit darker. Yeah, well. More deep, I would say, rather than dark. Okay, okay that that is Cause, fair. Yeah, because Barry is still kind of the quintessential good guy. I will say he does use the time travel to his romantic advantage. Okay, um, well, that's okay. And and we do have some more Flash Arrow crossovers, if I understand correctly. Um, I think there's still one more coming up. Right. I can't. I, yeah. I, I, there was that. You sent an article that I remember seeing, yeah. but yeah. So yeah. it should be cool. And then they actually have, a, a, you know, well, they're talking about this kind of like Justice League-ish type deal next year, right? With uh, Firestorm and some of the other, oh yeah, uh, the with the Adam, right, from Arrow is going to be yeah. the uh, Brandon Routh and everything. So, uh, you know, the DC Universe is alive and well on uh, Fox Television. There. Oh, actually, CW, I guess. Yeah. Um, so it, it's... Really cool to see this because, like I said, I mean, like these are also. I, I, I never was really into DC much as a kid, so I'm not really familiar with these stories. So it's it's kind of cool to to see all this stuff. Like 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 I said about the Flash, I had no idea that you know all this stuff like time travel and everything was part of the the Flash's mythology. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, and then finally on the Facebook group uh, about a week or so back, Peter Lamb suggested that we watch iZombie, that new CW show starring Rose McIver. And while I haven't seen it yet, you have seen the first two episodes. So so what'd you think? Love it. Yeah, it is great. It's such a good show. I I really am hard pressed to think about what is, uh, you know, any bad things to say about it. Um, The characters are fantastic. It's funny. You know, it's not all funny, but there's a lot of funny parts into it. So even like the second episode, I'm still like laughing out loud a uh, number of times during it. Uh, the story obviously is compelling. She's a zombie, but no one knows she's a zombie, right? Okay. So she has to exist in the world with everyone thinking she's like a regular everyday person. But in actuality, she's the undead and she, you know, eats brains. But luckily, she works in the morgue, so her penchant for brains is easily satisfied. All right, so you're going to stick with it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, it's cool. great. And, and they, there is, because um, I'm pretty sure it was a comic book first, and so there's this very comic book feel to it. Like when they come in from a commercial, they have like a little banner up in the corner like you would see in a comic book, given like the kind of the setting of what's going on. And it starts off like, the picture is inked and it, it transforms into a live action uh, picture. So it's just, uh, just really, really good. Uh, extremely enjoyable. Good. Like, again, I wouldn't say it was the deepest of shows though, you know, her conflicts uh, with, you know, dealing with, you know, it's kind of like you, you could read any metaphor into it of, of having something that you have to hide from the rest of the world, how you having to hide what you really are, um, while the other people around you think they don't understand, you know, like she had a fiance, she broke up with her fiance. He doesn't understand. He doesn't know she's a zombie. And so there's, there's all kinds of things that are kind of related to that. So that's a really good show. I like it a lot. 
Well, cool. You know, uh, if you listen to the last Take 5, you'll know that uh, sometimes I don't agree with everything the critics are saying, but I did read a couple of articles about this show, and one of the things they pointed out was that, that this character really has a chance to be one of the great female, young female heroines a la Buffy Summers and Veronica Mars, who are both uh, CW shows. So, you know, that that's pretty heady company. Both those shows, uh, you know, put out some really good material. So, you know, we'll see. Yeah, that's the one thing I forgot. She she has like this, when she eats people's brains, um, and this is where a lot of the comedy comes in, she starts to take on some of the personality of that person. Um, and so like in the last one, uh, there was an artist had died and... So she has a little bit of brains, and so she kind of, she also gets flashes from right before he died. So she helps the police. The police officer thinks she's just a psychic. Uh, obviously, doesn't realize she's a zombie eating brains and getting flashes of the past person's life through those brains. But she also takes on part of the personality, and so she's like sitting next to this guy's mistress, and she's just like looking at the mistress longingly, and it's just it's it's so funny, you know. Like it is is really quite clever show. So, all right. Well, on some Dark Angel news tonight, uh, we you know we've taken a look at Jessica Alba and Michael Weatherly. So With tonight the I'm going to talk in quotation marks, right? Yes. Uh, <laughs> take take a look at Valerie Ray Miller, who plays original Cindy, and not a lot there. Uh, she was a guest on a show called Mixology in 2014, and it was a series that ran during 1314, uh, one season, and it takes place over the course of one night at a Manhattan bar called Mix. Five women, five men meet up for more than just a casual conversation and a drink, and each episode follows two or three characters as they meet each other for the first time. So she is was just did one guest spot there. Uh, now, she had a recurring role on Men of a Certain Age, which ran from 2009 to 2011. Uh, in 2009, she was— one a, season? Uh, it did, yes, wow. I know. Uh, in 2009, she was a guest on NCIS, so she was briefly reunited with Michael Weatherly. Yeah. Uh, she was a series regular on Reaper, 2007-2008. Really? Yeah. Uh, you remember that yeah. show? Well, okay. I mean, obviously not very well, but I, 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 I watched that show. That was a great show. Yeah, okay. So just the, a quick recap. On his 21st birthday, Sam discovers his parents sold his soul to the devil before birth. And he must now be a bounty hunter for the devil until he dies. So, yeah, that's um, awesome because they're like these kind of like just regular teenagers, kind of out the lunch guys, and all of a sudden they have to, you know, get uh, souls, and they have to find yeah, they're bounty hunters to bring back souls that have escaped from hell. It was it was funny as crap. That was such a good show. That's an, mm-hmm. a, another classic example of a show that that uh, you know didn't really get its shot. So, and then lastly, uh, Valerie Ray Miller does have a Facebook page, but doesn't update it at all. So it's really difficult. She finding, never replies to my posts. Yeah, I know much uh, of what she's doing. So, but why don't we move into Dark Angel, uh, season one, episode seventeen, "Shorties in Love," written by Adisa Iwa, directed by Paul Shapiro, and it aired April seventeenth, two thousand one. Not my favorite episode, but I, I got to tell you, Wayne. On the rewatch, and the more I've thought about it, looking at my notes, I like it a little better. It's still not one of my favorites, but I, I like it better. Okay, I'll take your word for it. It was it was okay, but yeah, not okay. not my favorite. As I tell my kids to say when they don't want to eat their broccoli. Okay, all right. So the opening scene, we see Herbal sketch Cindy and Max carrying a hot water heater up to Max's floor. 
uh, sketch lets go because he sees a rat. I, I, it was like, what? That's the first rat you've seen? And, right. Especially, yeah, yeah like in, in the places where they stay, right? In the place where they work. Yeah. And, you know, Max subtly uses her strength to keep it from falling. But in the end, when everybody's looking at her, especially Cindy, who knows, she credits Herbal's guns to, uh, you know, the fact that it got thrown into place. Yeah. And how, like, a guy would be like, oh, yeah, that was totally. <laughs> Yeah. Now, you know, I mean, one of the things this episode, I I mean, obviously, this was a Cindy centric episode, which was really nice to see. And what that tells me is that they really thought this show had some legs and that was going to go more than one two, maybe even three or four seasons because they spent some quality time looking at Cindy. And, you know, we see after shower. Uh, Cindy gives Max her first manicure. This is pretty cool. You know, she explains that guys like girls that pay attention to the details and says, sometimes you're so butch, it's hard to believe you don't play on the all girl team. (laughs) Yeah. Which, I mean, I I get that she's like tough and she, you know, like beats people up a lot, but I never thought of her as butch actually, you know? Well, no, but, but that's a lot. What I like in this episode is that Max is softening and these things that she never cared about before she's starting to care about. Now, of course, the irony is not lost that it's Cindy. Who's the expert on men. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then the next thing, you know, the, the hot water heater crashes through the floor into the room in which they're sitting. Somebody out there just doesn't want me to be happy. And, and, you know, it's kind of emblematic. Is it Max's fate? to just never to be able to relax and lead a normal life or, or is her manticore past just going to haunt her forever? And yeah, that seems and to the, be the case so far, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I had uh, a little bone to pick here because I, I kept rewinding this cause I wanted to see like, cause to hook up a hot water here, you need like copper pipes, right? And they, it looks like they just have like a black rubber hose. which I'm pretty sure you can't run hot water through a black rubber hose. Just saying. So don't basically don't try this at home, I think. <laughs> there you go. All right. Uh, well, we're introduced to Diamond, an ex-girlfriend of Cindy's who shows up at that bar, and she's just been released from prison, says she's going to go straight, at least as far as the law is concerned, because we, we learned that the two of them had a hot and cold relationship. And, you know, they're all playing pool, and it was really neat to see Max Max more even than sketch and herbal just watching Cindy and diamond interact at the pool table because, you know, obviously herbal knew about diamond. Max was really kind of fascinated. Yeah. So sketch. Yeah. Well, sketch, of course. I, I mean, well, Hey, two girls. So here's, here's my question though. Cause you see like, there's like some other guy there in the group, like some bald dude. Right. Who's hanging out with them. And so, um, you know, Cindy introduces Diamond to everyone. She doesn't introduce that guy. Like, how rude is that? Yeah, true. I guess maybe he was just a hanger on or. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. but he yeah. looked like he was interacting with them. And I don't know. I'm just saying yeah. I found that to be very rude behavior. Well, absolutely. Now, you know, it's also interesting. Just Max is just sitting there watching, observing, doesn't really say anything. And, you know, even though it's just too former lovers reconnecting for you know we don't know for how long whether it's going to go beyond just this incident but but it's just it's max on guard which you know she seems to always be well and also we are kind of suspicious of diamond right away because you know we know in max's world people dropping in out of nowhere 
That's suspicious, right? If like yes, all of a sudden someone from your past shows up, hey, what's up? Hey, haven't seen you in a while. You know, usually turns out to be bad news. So I think right away we are kind of, especially when we hear she's out of jail and everything, we're like, okay, we're a little bit suspicious of this this girl here. All right. Now we are falling into some storytelling storytelling patterns here. You know, Max out with her friends, her pager goes off, and Logan has some sort of a crisis that she needs to deal with. And that's, of course, what happens here. There's some guy that's paying off the sector police so he can run arms unchecked. And while he's going through this, she's like, well, yeah, and I just met Cindy's ex. And then he's going on about the, you know, the guy that's been bribing the police. And then it's back to her talking about Cindy again. It was just really an interesting scene where, again, I was glad to see the change in her. Just that, you know, no, I'm not, you know, I'll deal with your stuff when I need to. But you're going to listen to my girl talk here. Yeah, and I like how Logan, you know, at the end is like, um, so they were really making out? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Yep. And, and, and then he even asks her, have you heard a word I said? And she tells him, I parallel process and multitask like there's no tomorrow. <laughs> and just acting like a normal girl. Um, and oh, then she asks, Dude, I, I do not claim any kind of backing of that past comment. Okay. <laughs> the direct, um, all, all vitriol towards Dave. Okay. Uh, that's okay. Um, she mentions about the water heater and says, you know, if I find any cash when I'm doing this job for you, is it okay if I take it? And he's like, you know what? Just don't tell me whatever you do. Right. Which I guess is a tacit approval. Yeah, absolutely. All right. All right. So her mission is to get a disc and I love the way she gets into this guy's house, right? She takes that one rat she caught makes a faux delivery to this guy Lemkin's house. And, you know, when the maid just turns her head, she lets the brat go, screams, the maid screams. And this was just recon for her. And she realizes there's all this laser protection in the room. And she's going to have to deal with that if she's going to actually get to the safe. Yeah, here's something I'm going to say probably quite a few times. But for a place that's supposed to be like super secure, the security of that place really, really sucked. You know, like she, it wasn't that difficult for her to get in the door and it wasn't that hard for her to, to break in and everything. You know? Well, I mean, it, it was tough, but you know. well, I think maybe it's one of those deals where they, the guy feels like he's so electronically protected. I mean, look, you look at that grid in the room in which the safe was housed. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, that was pretty intense. You have to admit. Right. But if anyone's ever seen a TV show ever, you could just flip through that grid. It's so easy. It's basic. And she showed that. Anyone who can do a cartwheel can get through those things. All right. Well, we we also learn about Diamond that my girl drops the word. She got skills. Uh, and that apparently she's a singer. We don't get to hear her sing, but we, we do see the three girls walk down the street. Yeah, I was uh, kind of hoping that we would. I'd like to see like what their view of music in the uh, the 21st century was, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Max starts teasing Cindy about copying her language eccentricities from Diamond. And, you know, obviously she's just yanking her chain. But she does point out that whole thing about talking about yourself in the third person. Right. In which she then proceeds to go and do some more. But, yeah, like, you know, I actually hearing that, I kind of agree. Like, maybe, you know, original Cindy might not be quite so original, right? No, that's absolutely right. Uh, All right. Well, anyway, Max's spidey sense picks up that there's some bad guys 
So we've got our obligatory ass-kicking scene, and uh, it was a pretty good scene again. She, she takes the gun that she got from the thugs right. to, lo- to Logan to see if he can ID them, because she doesn't think they're from Manticore. Well, it's a Luger, right? Yeah, it looked like it. Yeah. And when she goes to his place, he's sitting down doing curls, and she curls up next to him, her back to his shoulder, you know, and yeah. he t- tells her he worries about her. And, you know, we're, again, we've been down this path and, and you know, I, I, I like this aspect because you got two damaged individuals that, that you know, again, it's just like any of a number of shows that we've talked about where, come on, just you like her, she likes you. Um, well, it's but, the anticipation, Dave. I right? know, and I know. Plus, you know, I, I like how they're not just jumping in the sack, that they both kind of know, they know, they both recognize that they are attracted to each other. Right. Um, but they don't know really how to proceed. They're two people who are so used to kind of doing things on their own, and I think, and uh, being independent, that they're finding it difficult to broach this whole subject of a, what potentially would be, you know, it's not like they could just sleep together and that's it, right? I mean, they're well, talking true. about a relationship here, and uh, neither of them really does relationship very well well right and i think what what is really good in this episode is that we see through his poetry right in the in the opening scene she catches him writing poetry and she's obviously intrigued about it and now it's in this this second time when when she asks about it and asks whether or not she ever turns up in any of his poetry and he says well if in fact it's actually poetry that I'm writing, yeah, maybe you do. And she says, well, I can live off that for a couple of days. And their dance continues, but you know, it, it, it really made her happy to know that he's writing about her. And, yeah. and the other thing is we see at the end of the episode, what, you know, one of the things he wrote about her, which obviously plays into the title of the show. Yeah. So Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, kind of reinforces what I tell my students often is that, you know, poetry works like crazy, you know? Yeah. Like that. You mean with girls? Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. Of course. You know, that, that's, that's like, you know, a great excuse for studying poetry and learning to write it. There you go. All right. Well, now Diamond asks Cindy, you know, it gets really serious for a bit. If you could live anywhere and money wasn't an issue, where would you go? And Cindy says, you know, somewhere warm where it doesn't rain, Mexico right off the Gulf. And I'm thinking George and Lenny. All right. Yeah. Of no, mice yeah. And I didn't think you, about you that, know? but yeah, I see it now. Yeah. You know, Diamond. And then Diamond notices Max's Slim Jim. Uh, and then obviously that puts into her head that, okay, Max is not perhaps what I thought she was while Max is in the shower, goes through Max's toolkit, finds the building layout with safe circled on the drawing and right. you know at first i thought okay come on how cheesy is that it's like a, it's like a wily e. coyote plan there yeah. <laughs> yeah right um and then she comes right out and questions max about her lifestyle you know it's like how, how are you able to f- afford you know your bike which is apparently fairly high end for you know for this time and max says tip's been good tells her if you ever need me, I'm available for this kind of work. Right. And so here we're ratcheting up the suspicious meter, right? Because we're already like slightly, and now she's asking, you know, questions and everything. And 
you know, personally, I'm thinking that maybe she's involved with Manticore somehow. Um, that they found this woman and said, "Oh, yeah, I don't know. I, I know it's a long shot, but you, you just know that that she, she seems shady." And the, the thing that kind of bothered me about this uh, episode, thinking about it later, was that you know, in the end, we obviously she, her her character has a big you know turnaround, and and our sympathy towards her changes radically, um, but. You know, they, uh, why'd you have to set her up to be like, you know, you could have like played it and have like Max be suspicious, but those suspicions are completely ungrounded. So then what happens in the end, we, we're more sympathetic where I think in the end, the transformation seems to kind of come out of nowhere a little bit, you know? Well, well, I, I mean, I know what you're saying, but I guess what I felt was that she and Max are really two of a kind. I mean, they both, you know, you mentioned you thought maybe she was with Manticore somehow, you know, trying to find Max. And of course, she wasn't with Manticore, but she had been taken by this corporation. She, you know, did have her life taken over and, and controlled. And at the same time, she is kind of living on the edge. Some people would say she's a bad guy because she, you know, steals and robs and things like that, just as Max does, but apparently draws the line, say, at, at actually hurting somebody physically. So that's why I was a little bit, uh, I was a little okay, you know, with, you know, her really in, in more of a heroic role at the end there. Well, yeah, no question that she becomes a hero at the end. I just, you know, I think it's just, it's like too broad of a leap i think you know just for me personally it yeah. seemed um they put so much energy into having us distrust her and not like her through the whole episode and all of a sudden at the very end we're we're obviously supposed to be very sympathetic and see her act which her act was heroic um but like i said i think they just you know hit her sketchiness too hard um, yeah. It was difficult okay. to reconcile that with, with what she's supposed to be at the end. Okay. Well, you know, one of the things that I wondered, you know, how it would transpire, and, and I will say I've already seen the next episode. I, I know you haven't yet, and, and they didn't really deal with this in that next episode, but at some point I would think they're going to have to, is that Max and Cindy's relationship is going to need to be repaired a little bit because, uh, you know, at this point Max tells Cindy – She's not comfortable with Diamond staying there, you know, even tells a, a partial truth that those guys that were after her, she can't have somebody that doesn't know the score. You know, in other words, it, you know, she's a, a Manticore kid. And then Cindy storms off in a huff. Fine, she'll be gone by morning. And, and you understand that. And it might seem harsh, but, you, you know, it can't be easy for Max. I mean, on the other hand, this is kind of a normal part of Growing up for normal people, you know, getting that roommate that just doesn't work and you got to do something about it. Right. And, you know, totally Max's defense here. I mean, Cindy bringing someone into what they've got going, knowing what she knows about Max. I mean, that's that's just very dangerous. Right. Yeah. You know, again, like your old girlfriend just pops up off the street. You're like, oh, why don't you come live with me with my genetically enhanced roommate who has loads of people looking for her? Like. You know, I just, she's got to be smarter than that, you know? Yeah. Now, you know, we haven't really talked about it and, and you and I haven't even really talked about it much, you know, anyway, but what the hell happened to Kendra? It's like, 
Right. <laughs> she just disappeared from the yeah. show. And I did I did do a little bit of research, or at least, at least I tried to, to find out. It's like, you know, did she make somebody mad at the show? Did she get another gig? And, and just, you know, because she's just here one day and gone the next. And, and you look at her IMDb, she's working all the time. She's working more than anybody. So... Uh, yeah, I'll probably uh, take a look at her in next week's news, even though she's not on the show at this point. Right, well, we talked about that gun that Max picked up off the guys that, that she fought with, and it came back after Logan investigated that it was a, a group called the Nomads who are bounty hunters working out of Tacoma. Don't know the client, but whoever they're working for has deep pockets. And, you know, he's worried about her, suggests she gets out of town. And she tells him, well, okay, but first I got to knock over a safe for a friend. And of course, we're wondering, you know, are they contracted by Manticore and Lidecker? And, you know, we don't know. Well, well, but we're pretty sure it's not Lidecker because as, as they said that, you know, the guns are pretty low tech and, you know, Manticore is much cleverer, much better armed than, than these guys, right? So right. and Lidecker seems to and and Lidecker seems to take care of his own, you know what I mean? He, he right. fights his own battles yeah, with his own men. Exactly. Right. If it were Lidecker, Lidecker would be there. Um right. so that she could narrowly avoid him once again. All right. Well, pretending to be asleep, Diamond then follows Max to the break-in site and, you know, Max in in her best Mission Impossible style gets it done, sends the package down her little mini zip line to evade the laser sensors and it gets to the end and diamond just steals the discs sets off the alarm max gets arrested although of course max doesn't seem too concerned and you know it's at that point before exactly but it's at that point you have to ask you know was diamond really that different from max and does max's helping eyes only mitigate her other life yeah i mean i'd say she is different because you know max kind of it's not completely altruistic, but oftentimes has other people's interests at heart, right? Whereas Diamond here, this is completely out of self-interest. And she's jacking up a friend, right? True. Well, maybe not her friend, but it's, a friend it's of her a friend's friend. friend, right? The person who you're staying with and you're screwing her over, like that's messed up, you know? Yeah. Uh, well, the cop shows Max the surveillance video showing her accomplice. And that's when obviously she puts two and two together and realizes that diamond followed her, tells the cop, nothing max gets shot with a trank dart and then finds herself strapped to a bed. And you see these guys on the other side of the glass asking about possible symptoms, none of which max has, and they just want diamond and what she's stolen, but they don't seem to know who or what Max is, right? Even though she's got the barcode on the back of her neck. Right, yeah. Well, again, you know, not Manticore, so. Right. Uh, well, before they can sedate her again, she breaks free, disables the uh, doctor, gets away. Yeah, like in the tearing back up of the bindings. I'm just like, why didn't she do that in the first place? Well, good point. Good <laughs> point. Um, but we do get a wide shot of a rather elaborate facility that's uh, fairly heavily guarded and it's called Synthodyne. We learn a little bit more about that. Uh, back at Logan's, he tells her that they made billions of dollars stockpiling vaccine during the 2011 influenza outbreak and then selling it on the black market. And again, this is not the first time we've heard this in Dark Angel. 
Right. You know, this whole idea of stockpiling yeah, drugs. Right, right. And, and the whole cyberpunk, post-apocalyptic type thing, there's, you know, a lot of hoarding going on and, and things that we kind of take for granted, we see are extremely valuable. Right. And, and we have to ask, why is this Kroll guy so interested in Diamond? And we find that she escaped from the Synthodyne Correctional Facility for Women. So this drug company apparently has their own prison. Right. Well, if, you know, you need to do human testing. It's nice to have a prison. Uh, I guess when you're big, I guess when you're big pharma, you can do whatever you want. Yeah, which is actually the exact same thing is kind of happening in Gotham right now. Yeah. Too. Oh, okay. So okay, which I would know if I watched. You would, but you would know if you watch it, but you don't. So. All right. Now we don't see much of Jam Pony, but we are there. Diamond shows up and admits she still had 18 months of time to do, but she escaped and tells Cindy, and we believe her that she has some kind of cancer and it appears she was being used as a test subject for cancer drugs. So, uh, you know, she so shows Cindy the cash she got from Max wants to go to Mexico admits she stole it from a thief, which is, you know, kind of basically true. Well, yeah. Who, who's the thief Max right. <laughs> or the other guy, right? right? Yeah. E- either one. It's, it's, it's but, like, uh, she won the line. She just won telling the whole truth. Right. Right. But, but this is really, you know, the scene where it, it finally, changed me in terms of my attitude she's a victim likes like max just wants to be happy in a relationship in a place where people leave her alone and you know she uses the same argument to cindy that max used to logan you know stealing from a thief really isn't stealing though you know how does she know who max was stealing it from right right (laughs) exactly well and also this idea of just wanting to make a connection with someone i mean that is this theme we see time and time again on this show, right? I mean, we got Max certainly is, you know, trying to, is looking to connect Logan. Part of his deal is, you know, just pulling away from the computer screen connecting and Zach as well. Um, you know, we've seen numbers of characters that have trouble. They, they, you know, like part of it is it's, it's great to be whatever superpower you have or whatever, how brainy you are, whatever you can do really well. But if you don't have that connection going on, then what's it all for kind of i guess yeah no true um now i don't know about you wayne but i don't ever get tired of seeing sebastian in these shows right and, and logan and max go to see him and he tells them oh no synthodyne is in fact using convicts as guinea pigs injecting them with a biological agent uh they lie to the prisoners about some condition when what they're actually doing is working on developing viruses and that apparently Diamond Cell Block was the subject of the designer virus AN918. But the problem is she was getting drugs that would keep it under control. But now that she's been gone, uh, it, it, as he says, it's going to be any day now that she becomes highly contagious. Right. Yeah. And obviously. Oh, and then this is just kind of like what is the new apocalypse, right, for the, the 21st century. Um, 12 Monkeys, we were talking about before. Helix is the same thing. These worldwide pandemics you know it's not we used to be afraid of the nuclear bomb now it's that that's not so big a deal so much as again you know like some disease that wipes us all out yeah and you know it's not far-fetched no not at all so all right well we see cindy and diamond they're on a bus to mexico and diamond's already feeling the effects and and feeling sick and it it seems as if she instinctively knows she's going to die and just wants to set Cindy up with a comfortable life. Cause she's, you know, we don't know how much money I don't think, but it's, it's a lot. That's for sure. 
Um, you know, Max is in pursuit because she knows the truth and, and knows the danger if if she becomes contagious. There are helicopters overhead, but you know, before Max can do anything, the bus is stopped. Guys in hazmat suits start getting the people off the bus, and, and that's when Max sees Cindy and Diamond on the chopper. So they've already gotten them out. Kind of raises the question: How did they track Diamond? But I guess that's yeah, that was not that yeah, important, right? <laughs> that's that's definitely a detail they just kind of gloss over. We just have to accept that as fact. Yeah, that's okay. 43, 43 minutes. You're right. You right. can't cover everything. So so we're back inside Synthodyne. Diamond's really sick now. They're trying to figure out what to do with Cindy, and the lead doctor he gets mad that the assistant gave Cindy the antidote because he wanted to put them together to see how quickly Cindy becomes infected. I mean, this is straight straight out of uh, Dr. Mangalov. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that was hardcore, that, that bit there. And, you know, but again, let's talk about, we're talking about like this idea of the worldwide pandemic. I mean, the, on the backside of this is basic distrust of, you know, not necessarily science and scientists, but, you know, distrust of just, you know, things we don't understand. So I guess you put science and scientists in there and everything. Um, yeah. The idea of that that technology and science unchecked leads to disaster that we as human beings are not really capable of handling the moral um, angles of you know technological advancement. And, you know, he verbalizes what we kind of knew is that they can't let Cindy go. You know, she knows too much and has seen too much. But at this point, Max sneaks in, puts on a hazmat suit, gives one to Cindy to put on. And you realize at this point that Max knows what the score is, that that uh, she and Cindy are getting out. Diamond is not. And I thought there would be more of a uh, of a fight put up by cindy but i think again i think she could see the reality of the situation right and you know they had like that little like kirk and spock moment with, uh, on opposite sides of the window and everything um yeah that was you know kind of nice yeah and, and max forgiving diamond for what diamond did to her right well you know, because if you because look again, at her, what she's the condition she's in what, what else can you do she'd be pretty pretty uh you know, shoddy of her to you know, uh, well, hold that's a grudge. true. I, I agree because it is really heartbreaking. I mean, she's not evil. She's just flawed. And, 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 you know, that's again, one of the things that I love about this show is that just so many of the characters are, um, while all hell's breaking loose, the director's on the phone about You're like tea keeping, time, keep, right? Keep right. <laughs> keeping things under control. No, a 7am tea time. Okay. Um, refuses to put on the hazmat suit, but then Diamond, wearing one, shows up. Oh my gosh! Pustules on her yeah. face, comes into the room, drops. Now this again, another plot flaw. Maybe drops the only antidote. Really, that was the only one in that whole facility. Okay, <laughs> don't I guess. make any more. Just okay. leave it and put it in a glass container. So she drops it and breaks it, and then kisses him. Yeah. which obviously then infects him. Right. So and he um, receives his just desserts. Yep, exactly. All right. Now, final scene, a uh, little longer than usual. And, you know, I didn't mention it at the time, but but the opening scene was a little longer than usual, as is the next episode. But anyway, Max and Cindy are back at their crib, and Cindy credits Diamond for bringing her out of her shell and becoming the person she's become, who I really am. 
And, you know, she says, even though you ain't with that person, you ain't alone in the world either. And, and you know, I, I, again, I just that thing that she'll always be there in her heart. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then what does she notice? That Max's nails are rough. <laughs> right. And yeah, it's, it's all about connection, though. You know, it's like it's just it's it's about those relationships that, like, you know, despite what happens, that that whatever bad times you go through, I guess, kind of that you're always if you have someone out there who has your back, someone who loves you, um, it, it makes it you know bearable, I guess. Yeah. And, you know, I know you are not a big fan of the voiceover, and we've talked about it many times. You know, this that, time that, I didn't mind it so much. Yeah, because it, okay. it was, yeah. I mean, so we're at Logan's in candlelight because there's been a power brownout, which I'm not sure exactly what's a brownout. I guess it's just like a temporary outage that that's. Uh, uh, or you eat too much chili. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, they're drinking wine, and Logan says, I'm never sure anyone ever gets over their first love and max replies i wouldn't know oh right and then she asks to see one of his poem and he and he relents and she reads it and asks you wrote this about me <laughs> he says it depends do you hate it <laughs> it's uh it's all right right <laughs> yeah and then when it was, it was a nice little poem you know all right well when he says he wrote it about her she leaves and and i, I guess my question was well why did you leave you like the poem he told you he wrote it about you, you know, and, and maybe she just didn't know, you know, how to handle the situation. I, I absolutely Need- think that's what it is. Yeah. Right. So we're at the, the space needle again, the voiceover, and we hear the poem forever eyes dark somebody's angel. Now, yeah, I, don't, I don't know. I don't if- like the rhyme scheme and you know, the meters <laughs> is a bit off, but I think the general thematic unity is, is quite nice. Yes. Now, we don't know if that's the entire poem or just what she chooses to verbalize, but that really doesn't even matter. And she says, never any, never had anybody write a poem about me. And she stole the page and admits that Logan's going to help keep her strong. So, you know, I, I, it was a nice ending. I mean, I'm certainly in agreement with you about the uh, c- kind of the, the naivete that she's showing in this relationship and that they're really taking it slow. The writers that is, and uh, you know, I, I do really like that. And, and, and this ending especially. So, yeah, well, especially since it's this idea, you know, she's like, you know, if somebody's looking to put me in a cage or straight up kill me, they've already failed. You know, it's like this idea of that. It was so meaningful to her, you know, that, that poem that, She's basically saying, like, you, you could even kill me right now, and it, it 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 doesn't matter. I've kind of, you know, no one could ever take this away from me. This is means so much to her. It's just awesome to to see that and to realize that, you know, again that that uh, their relationship it doesn't have to be sexual for them to bond at a deep emotional level here. Right. Absolutely. So. Um, you know, on first watch, I probably would have given it a seven. I, I've certainly upped it to 7.5. And, and you know, maybe, again, as often happens, by the do- time we're done talking about it, you know, I see a lot more value in the episode. So I'm not sure I'm ready to go to an eight, but uh, 7.7, maybe, something like that. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, maybe high six, I'll give it. Okay. Maybe. Oh, okay. You're a harsh one. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> all right. Any, anything else you want to? bring up about it 
Uh, the only thing is, like, there's that one scene where she, I think she's breaking into that guy's uh, house, and she, like, jumps over the fence. Oh, awesome. <laughs> yeah. And I was just wishing at that time they did a little, no, 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 no. Like, remember the $6 million man? Oh, I do. Absolutely. Did you ever watch I that? Um, not probably, so much. You're probably a little old to, to watch it. But like, when yeah. I was a kid, that was like, man, we all were like Lee majors and we would pretend to be. And so, like, we're playing in the backyard going, no, 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 Like, everything. Yeah, so. you know, I was of an age when I was actually doing things with uh, girls and right. adult things, which, <laughs> which is what you always <laughs> tell me about Friday nights. So. Right. All right. So uh, now listen, I, you know, I mentioned that I've already seen the next episode and obviously I won't spoil anything, but it is really good. You know, is it my favorite one of this season? I don't know, but it's certainly up there. I, I just really, really like that this episode. So uh, I'm looking forward to talking about that one next week and want to thank you guys for joining us tonight. We'd love to hear from you about Dark Angel or anything else you think we should be watching. We'd like to encourage you to join the Facebook group. And if you're already a member, spread the word and, and certainly do what Peter did. Just, uh, you know, post a suggestion on there. We'll, we'll definitely see it. Uh, emails to sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com voicemails via SpeakPipe, which you can access through the sci-fi tv rewatch website and we'll be back next week to discuss dark angel season one episode 18 titled polo loco but until then Dave, i still don't really know what to make of the, the last podcast we did in the studio you know i thought it was going to be three hot babies hanging around rubbing moisture on each other but you know at, at the end you know we put on sexy lingerie and have pillow fights <laughs>